Welcome to New Chip Accelerate, the podcast for entrepreneurs by the New Chip Accelerator. From investing to building a company culture, this podcast strives to shine a light on the many unknowns that all entrepreneurs face on a daily basis. Through talks with key personalities, Accelerate will teach you how to approach your investors, companies, customers, and challenges with a fresh perspective. Today's episode will provide some outlook on the cannabis industry. As legalization makes cannabis more available, more entrepreneurs are looking to leverage those new opportunities. New Chip's Yi Shi hosts John Bassar, the founder and CEO of Waxanax, Ted Moskovitz, founder of Decentranet and Ama Healing, and Elaine Richer, CEO of My Cure All, for a panel conversation on the current innovations in the cannabis industry and the future ahead of it. Let's get right into it. Greetings, everyone. Uh, my name is Yi Shi, and I'm a venture fellow at New Chip. We are going to talk about one of the most exciting topics in the startup world cannabis. I'm personally very interested in this field because um, I am myself a beneficiary of CBD due to my lupus condition. Uh, recently, more and more states and countries are legalizing marijuana, which used to be a very strict Schedule One drug, along with heroin, LSD, and even ecstasy. This obviously creates some opportunities for startups and investors to follow. Um, therefore, today we invited three experts in the field to share their experience and knowledge about the future of cannabis innovation. Without further ado, uh, John, would you mind uh, taking the lead? Absolutely. Thank you, Yishi. Appreciate it. My name is John Bashar, and I'm a co-founder and CEO of Waxnacks. We're an ancillary packaging and filling service in the THC and CBD concentrate space. We're based out of Denver, Colorado, and we are currently now reaching in other markets. And again, very excited to be on the panel. And here's some of the interesting things Ted and Elaine have to offer. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Next, we have uh, Tad, uh, who is an experienced investor and advisor in the cannabis field. Uh, Tad, please go ahead. Uh, sure. So I'm a former securities lawyer turned entrepreneur, investor and advisor. Um, I've been working in the cannabis space for, I guess, about six or seven years. Um, at first, really all picks and shovels and sort of plant adjacent um, type activities, nothing that was plant touching. Uh, but in the last couple of years, as we've seen, you know, the path toward legalization moving forward and legalization in some states, we've gotten into more, you know, plant touching type things, um, both from like the investor and advisor side. Um, and I'm also one of the founders of Alma Healing, uh, which is a hemp-based wellness brand that does CBD and other cannabis. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, last but not least, we have Elaine, who is the founder of My Cure All. Uh, Elaine, please. Hi, how are you? So I'm Elaine Richer, and I am actually a pharmacist, a legal pharmacist in both New Jersey and uh, Florida. I've been a pharmacist for over 25 years. Um, I've worked uh, in um, three Fortune 500 companies. I was a uh, district manager in CVS, Rite Aid, and uh, Walgreens. I worked with a lot of pharmacists, led a lot of teams, um, definitely did a lot of really cool things with, you know, with uh, PBMs, with the way the healthcare has been changing, especially as a landscape in, you know, in the last few years. Um, about a year and a half ago, I left my position and I, um, 
became a CEO of Mike Ural. So I'm a founder and a CEO of Mike Ural. Uh, we are considered ourselves as a cannabis benefit manager. We look to reduce really healthcare costs and expenditures while providing optimal medical cannabis protocols and treatments for patients with really this very heavy patient-centric approach. Um, we have that ecosystem that connects providers, patients, uh, MAT treatment, because we are looking into, um, in, into a lot of um, assistance for um, opioid use disorders, uh, as well as insurance companies. So what we developed is an app that combines all four that puts everybody in touch with each other. And we're trying to work out this hand-in-hand -hand natural solution for the medical conditions that cannabis is indicated for. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Elaine. Thank you, everybody, for the introduction. Um, so let's kick in the topics today. Uh, my first question for you guys would be, uh, what are some trends in the cannabis industry right now and any interesting innovations or developments that are worth noticing? Um, what are our consumers looking for as well? Uh, feel free to jump in if you want to uh, talk about it right now. Sure. Um, I mean, there's a couple that I can talk about. You know, two of the things that I find most exciting would be the rise of food and beverage um, and cannabis, and then also uh, beginning to incorporate more like genetics and personalized medicine into people's cannabis experience. Um, I'll start with the second one. So, you know, for the last few years, in addition to the work I do in cannabis, um, I've been doing work with precision medicine and longevity and anti-aging and things like that. And really just asking the question of how can we utilize an individual's DNA um, to do, you know, therapy or treatment for them, right? Um, and we've learned so much about how individuals are all unique and how there are different, you know, supplements, nutrition protocols, things for different people based on their genetics, right? Um, and when it comes to cannabis, you know, so far we've really had this one size fits all approach. Um, you know, we, we've had this approach where you walk into a store or you go online and the way that you determine what product you're going to buy oftentimes is like what the person who works there enjoys themselves um, or you buy it based on the label, you know, which happens more often than I think we'd like to admit. Um, and that really is not taking, you know, the individual's genetics into account. Um, and there's a really wide variety of responses to cannabinoids that we can have based on, you know, a few key genes. There's about 55 genes that we found, you know, implicated in cannabinoid responses. There's about 16 that we found like really tight correlations with. Um, and so part of the work that we're doing and that others are doing, that I think is really interesting is sequencing an individual's genetics and then manufacturing products specific to them, or at least recommending products that are specific to them with different THC to CBD ratios, different minor cannabinoid ratios, different terpenes and things like that um, based on the individual. And so I think this personalization is one of the things that's really going to be required um, for the industry to, to mature and grow up a little bit. Um, and that's one that I'm really excited for. Um, and then the rise in food and beverage is another one that I think is really exciting. You know, it used to be that when people had, you know, like THC edibles or CBD edibles, you know, the taste and flavor and the presentation really was not of prime importance. It was really all about effect. And for a long time, it was like, how much THC, you know, can we pack into this, right? How high are we going to get people in huge dosages of CBD and things? And then what I found, you know, especially in the last years, there are people who are pioneering really like food and flavor first approaches that also happen to have, you know, THC or CBD in them. But first and foremost, it has to be delicious, right? It has to have good mouthfeel and things like that. And so I think 
that's an area where we've seen a lot of development is having products that just really taste good that people enjoy eating and drinking um, that also happen to have you know these cannabinoids in them um, and lower dosages too. I mean, you know, for a long time we were seeing a lot of THC products in legal states with 100 milligrams, 300 milligrams of THC, which for the uninitiated or even for those of us who are are more cannabis experienced is really overwhelming. And now we're seeing you know one, two, three milligram um, as well becoming very popular. So I think you know lower dosages are are another trend that I think is pretty interesting. Um, and on the beverage side, that's really what I've been focusing on for the past year or so with our company, Alma Healing. Um, we have a product called Elevate, which is designed as an alcohol alternative. And I think that's one of the trends that we're seeing as well as people using cannabis and hemp products as an alternative to alcohol because you can get the same relaxing, unwinding kind of feeling that you get from your favorite alcoholic beverage, but without a lot of negative health consequences of alcohol that I think you know we're all familiar with. So that's one that I'm really excited to see you know growing as well as supplanting of alcohol with cannabis products. Awesome. Yes. I remember right now, even Netflix has a, a cooking show just about how to uh, do the, infuse cannabis into different type of uh, high-end cuisine as well. So I, I can see the trend on there, like you said, Tad. Um, how about other people feeling about that? Well, uh, if I can go next. So I uh, really enjoyed, uh, you know, hearing Ted speak about uh, genomes and uh, really personalized medicine, because that's a very important subject. And I believe it works as a pharmacist throughout for every medication. And we all notice this. We all know we're individuals. We all look at the side effects of, you know, one, one of us will get a side effect to a COVID shot. The other one wouldn't, right? Different side effects. We'll react differently. So the same goes with cannabis. And I am really, you know, it was considered innovative to think about it from any medication standpoint. And the fact that we're thinking about it right at the get-go, right as cannabis, hopefully being considered to be legal very shortly, uh, federally, it's really, really a very cool, you know, it's a very cool thing. So I think it's very important. And we're taking it a little bit further. So we're looking at, at protocols. And the way we're looking at protocols, not every cannabis product is, you know, cannabis, it can be used for everything. So we're looking at uh, specific cannabis for specific patient and for their specific need. And that's kind of what, you know, that's one of the things that we're doing. And I do believe this is a full future because if you have a migraine uh, versus somebody that's struggling with HIV wasting disease, you need different strains of cannabis simply because you're treating different conditions. And that's something that I really see is being looked at from any standpoint of, you know, a physician and a patient. You see a lot of patients are talking about, okay, so I'm suffering with anxiety and I can't sleep at night. What is the best strain that I can use? So I think that's definitely becoming a very um, something that people are concentrating on. And the next thing I think that we're, you know, the, the other thing is important and the trend is really going through that medical coverage because cannabis is very expensive and um, the trial and error method is, is very expensive and people can't afford it. And you really should not be choosing food or your medication, right? That goes for everything. So that's pretty much uh, kind of where I see a very important trend. 
there have been, you know, uh, three cases in the country where we now have workers' compensation programs that are actually paying for cannabis. New Jersey, where I'm from, is being one of those workers' compensation, actually being that cannabis is medically acceptable in the state. Workers' compensation now has to cover cannabis. And I think that's that's a very um, important way of kind of where we're moving as a society. And that's that's very cool to see. Yes. Yes. I still remember when I went uh, drove to Colorado, I still need to actually get the cash to purchase the um, uh, cannabis right now. And then hopefully the banking system will open uh, with more and more states getting more regulated as well. Um, so, uh, John, what's your thought on this? Yeah, I mean, great, great thoughts, Ted and Elaine. I think you guys really hit on some probably the biggest, biggest factors in cannabis right now that we see a lot of growth. For me, overall, Ted mentioned it, you know, ancillary and non-touching plant, those are simultaneously can be used together. Um, that's where I see a lot of potential growth and trends in cannabis. You know, that was we saw the crash of the cannabis market due to an oversupply of cannabis. When a lot of people think of cannabis right off the top. You know, they think, all right, well, I'm going to go out to Colorado, Oregon, wherever. I'm going to buy land. I'm going to set up a grow, and I'm going to grow my own cannabis. Right now, what we're seeing is there's an oversupply of that. It's very high capital expenditure to start. So really, where I think there's a huge opportunity is on the ancillary side. And again, Ted touched up on it. Elaine touched up on it. Being able to specifically you know, formulate strains that help with specific things. You know, I don't know if you guys have heard of Delta 8. That is a very large, you know, very growing um, section of cannabis that's exploding. I see in Colorado right now. And again, that's similar to the Delta 9 structure, tweaked a little bit called Delta 8, and now not as much psychoactive um, psychoactive effect as Delta 9. And so now people are using it for, you know, their specific reasonings, where they don't want to have, you know, as much psychoactive effects come into play. And so overall, again, ancillary is where we, where I see a big, big kind of push the industry is moving towards. I mean, specifically when, you know, for example, there's so many different ways you can look at marketing companies in the cannabis industry. Like I love, I love that type of service in the industry because there's so many hurdles, so many hula hoops you got to jump through in cannabis, just to market, you know, you can't use Facebook, you can't use Google. So those type of companies coming in and helping, you know, just that's one example where I think there's a lot of benefit moving forward. And again, really where, where there's going to be a lot of, a lot of space to grow in the industry. Yes. Yes. Um, like uh, John said, Delta, I heard of, about that as well. And then I feel uh, very interesting. I think from what you guys mentioned, uh, it's really a lot of personalization and also very specific content. Try to extract, uh, just depend on different people's genetics as well, will be very uh, a big trend right now. Even if I heard right now my cat, um, they uh, try to uh, advertise certain packed CBD product to, to me as well, since I'm buying a lot of uh, food for my cat online. So I think the PAT CBD uh, product will be on the trend as well. Awesome. Thank you. For, uh, yes. Yeah. I, I had a question for Ted real quick, just because Ted, you had experience both in the, you know, ancillary non part, non touching part of the plant and as well as touching of the plant industries, you know, kind of what did you, you know, working on both sides, you know, what did you see, you know, were you more excited about one or the other? I was just curious to see, again, I've been solely an ancillary focus on ancillary businesses. So I'm wondering, you know, kind of how you saw, how you weighed the two. 
Yeah. So I think, you know, early on we went the ancillary route because, you know, we were concerned about the risk of plant touching, right? Um, exactly. You know, six or seven years ago, things looked very different than they do now. And so, you know, my background was in software. I built a software company, a SaaS company. And so it was a place where I thought I could add value. Like I was a personal consumer of cannabis. I had this background. And so I thought I could merge the two together, right? And so looking at things like, you know, what are CRMs going to be? How are we doing seed to sale tracking? Um, I've got, you know, a sort of long time background in blockchain and cryptocurrency, you know, going back a, a good number of years. Um, and so figuring out how do we do like blockchain based tracking of these things. And so it was a lot of just like merging of different fields that I was interested in, right? Um, and what that was sort of risk mitigated. Um, and the people who were in the industry at the time, you know, it was a lot more like kind of, you know, white shoe, like more like Wall Street, you know, types that were doing ancillary. And the traditional market was still very much underground, sort of like the classic Humboldt hippie, right? Um, and so, you know, then as things became more and more destigmatized and, you know, de risked and it became legal in certain states, that's when I became more interested in things that, you know, were, were plant touching, right? Um, and for a long time, I wasn't really doing anything, you know, on the THC side. I thought, you know, there was, I've really been interested from the health perspective, right? And on the THC side, it's like you smoke pot to get high, right? But most people aren't using it for the health perspective. Like you would be using a much lower THC containing product. So I was more in, in the hemp side of things. Um, and, you know, at first, again, it was like a lot of wellness entrepreneurs and people are coming out of like the supplement and nutraceutical space. But now, you know, we're seeing the same thing. Like it's, it's big business and it's big money now. And there's this sort of green rush that's happening. And so again, it's becoming more professionalized. We're seeing the same, you know, kind of white shoe bankers coming in that, you know, yeah. come in as, as industries mature a bit. So, you know, my, my shift was really just like a personal thing, but I think it's still interesting because, you know, there's a place for everyone to fit in, right? Like if you're someone who's a personal consumer of cannabis or you think it's important as medicine or as an alternative to traditional pharma, um, and you're like someone with a tech background, ancillary might be, you know, the thing for you, right? Like I have a friend who's a nuclear engineer who's, you know, devising extraction machines, right? Um, which I think is really cool. Um, whereas if people are more interested in, you know, the plant, then I think, you know, part of the problem with the plant touching side is like you said, it's becoming so commoditized now. Um, and so many people are, are coming into the space thinking it's going to be easy. Um, and while it's not that difficult to grow cannabis, it is really difficult to do it consistently, you know, across multiple years and turn out consistent product. And so, you know, I think a lot of people trying to rush in will be a little bit rudely surprised. And we're also seeing just a lot of consolidation in the space in general, you know, people taking advantage of economy of scale and rolling up smaller brands and things. So, you know, my hope is that we have sort of two markets on the plant touching side, or maybe even three. One is sort of like the pure medical, you know, kind of side. Um, which takes a sort of like reductionist approach down to single compounds. Then we have sort of like the wellness, you know, side of things um, and like an alternative to traditional pharma. Um, and then hopefully we'll also see just like an artisanal market, you know, for people to experiment with interesting, you know, formulations and plant genetics and things to produce some cool results. So um, I think there's, there's interesting things that are happening across the board. It just depends on where you think you fit in and what your interests are. Definitely. Definitely. I love that you brought up software. I think that's only one thing that's just scratching the surface in any industry. Everything's coming down to data. And obviously the more data you can collect, you can use for medical, you know, prescriptions, whatever it may be. Again, that's what you guys are doing with my cure all using the software. So I think that's another area where there's a lot of tremendous opportunity in the software, again, accumulation of data to help 
you know, make help users make the right choice for, you know, whatever their uh, ailment is. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you guys for, uh, so much for your answers. Uh, so now when it comes to marijuana, we have to talk about legal. So I think New Jersey is the recent state to legalize recreational weed. Uh, but in the meantime, there's a rumor that our current federal government will follow the suit very soon. We don't know when, but there's a little, little birth speaking. Um, what are some regulation challenges for our startups now, even though so many good news and so many good things are happening? Also, is the public ready for this, right? Uh, because to me, for example, who is born and raised in a traditional Chinese family, marijuana is actually like a taboo to my parents' generation as well. What are your thoughts? Uh, any uh, any suggestions, especially tab you as a legal background as well. Um, what are some indications we ha- we are facing right now? Yeah. So, you know, on sort of like the legal challenge front or challenges in general, I think the most obvious one is banking, right? Yes. Um, you know, that that's a big problem. I mean, there's still a lot of, you know, dispensaries that are cash only. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen like old banks are being bought up because they have vault in them and being turned into, you know, dispensaries because they need somewhere to store all of the cash. Right. Um, and I think that's, you know, it, it's a shame that things exist that way. Um, and so I think, you know, cannabis compliant banking is something that we're going to see, you know, happening pretty quickly. Um, I know a couple of people who are working on it right now. Um, some of the banks will start offshore and service us customers. And then, as we see federal legalization happening, you know, we'll, we'll bring them on shore and, and that'll be something happening there. But that's, you know, I think one of the most obvious ones. Um, and then there's, you know, another challenge, which is just like a lack of clarity and uncertainty, um, you know, around certain laws. Like, you know, right now, I think people could argue that you should not be allowed to sell CBD products, period, because, you know, GW Pharmaceuticals has the pattern for epidiolects and, you know, so there's this whole like drug ingredient question, right? But I think we understand it's not an enforcement priority. Um, so you have this tension where something is not legal, but also not an enforcement priority sort of leaves you in this lurch where you know you're probably not going to have anyone come after you unless you're, you know, making false claims and things. But it still doesn't feel great to know that, you know, you're not complying with the letter of the law, right? When you're doing your best to do so. And I think that's the challenge is a company that wants to do everything right at this point in time cannot do it. There are no definitive rules, you know, for them to follow. Right. And that's problematic. We want to have a path for people who want to do things right, to do things right. And a path for prosecuting those who don't. Right. So I think that that's one of the big ones. Um, another big challenge is just the inconsistency state by state. Um, some states allow for you to use CBD as a food ingredient or food additive and some don't, right. If you're, you know, like, everything is online now, right? Brands are not geographically limited. You want to be able to sell across the entire country and ship across the entire country. And having this patchwork framework of different rules, I think is a challenge as well. With federal legalization, hopefully that will change too. And states will follow suit and, you know, adopting whatever the federal rules are. Um, so I think that that kind of covers the challenges. Um, you know, in terms of is the public ready? Um, I mean, the, the answer is both, right? So on one hand, The public is absolutely ready because the types of products that are available for dealing with their health concerns now are not nearly as good as what a lot of these cannabis products can be, right? I mean, I've seen recent studies showing that, you know, blends of CBD and minor cannabinoids and curcumin derived from turmeric root was 
far more effective than the classic drugs for rheumatoid arthritis, right? And there's a number of examples of this where people are ditching their you know, prescriptions and using cannabis because it gives them the same effect with fewer side effects, right? I'm not saying anyone should stop taking their meds and obviously you want, you want to consult with your doctor, but that is real and that is happening, right? So I'd say not only are they ready, but they're desperate for alternative solutions that are going to be a really good fit for them. Um, and then there's the destigmatization piece, like you talk about your family, you know, not being comfortable with cannabis. And I think that's just something that is going to change over time. You know, whenever something is new and it has a lot of stigma built up around it, um, you know, it, it's going to take time for that to dissolve away. I think the more people learn about like the roots of cannabis prohibition, you know, the more they realize that a lot of it is actually grounded in like xenophobia and racism against certain groups that were cultivating it, you know, over, over the course of the last hundred years. And when we recognize that, you know, that's the root of a lot of these policies have this really racist tone, um, it'll allow us to evolve much faster beyond it. Right. Um, and the more we take this sort of science and fact-based approach, you know, again, the more people will, will begin to move beyond it. Right. The more people's doctors, you know, suggest it to them, you know, the more that we'll begin to see it incorporated. Um, and, you know, cannabis has had a place like in ancient Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, you know, and a few traditional kind of medical cultures um, that we've seen lost because of like the illegality and the stigmatization. I think now we're going to see it swing back the other way and see, you know, practitioners of these healing arts begin to incorporate them more and more again, begin to read back to, you know, notes of people who they've learned from like over, you know, a couple thousand years, right, in certain cases. Um, of, of these historical traditions of using the plant. So I'm excited to see, you know, how that plays out as well. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Ted. Uh, and also, Elaine, as a pharmacist as well, uh, what's your thoughts on this? So I can start with uh, stigma. First of all, I do agree with everything that Ted mentioned. And I know that there are a number of companies in California that are working on credit card processing, that are working on different, you know, banking, assisting with banking regulations. And obviously, as soon as the, you know, cannabis will become federally legal. That's something that's going to check change very swiftly because all the big banks will want to get into it. Um, from, you know, I'm a pharmacist. I am a very straight arrow. The fact that I started talking about cannabis in the first place was a shock to everyone around me uh, several years ago. So I can tell you that, you know, the only thing I knew about cannabis was the smells on the streets of, of Greenwich village. You know, when I, when I, when I was in college, that was pretty much it. And it was just, you know, permeating every street corner. Um, and that was pretty much all, you know, all I was aware of. Um, but as I started reading and I, you know, I, I've heard a report on television and then I started looking at it and I saw the big difference that cannabis brings versus opioids. And I saw the ability for something that's non-addictive to, to be that perfect opioid replacement therapy that, that became to me really a mantra. I was just starting out of, I was just out of pharmacy school when OxyContin came out. And I remember those, uh, you know, sales reps going and asking you, please order one bottle. We'll send you one bottle for free. Please, you know, order will get you a $150 rebate check for this. So, you know, this doctor will not prescribe it unless you keep the medication in stock and all of this stuff. And um, it, it's interesting. So I was kind of like right there seeing how, you know, doctors were prescribing, patients were using and getting addicted just like that. 
Um, so, I mean, if we were able to believe that OxyContin helps us, I think pretty much the herb uh, that's been out there for as long as planet has been around and the endocannabinoid system that's been evolving for 500 million years kind of should be an easy thing to believe in. That That's, you know, I do believe education is very important. Educating physicians, because a lot of physicians, you know, only 7% of uh, medical schools actually touch upon endocannabinoid system. I now read lectures regularly in the pharmacy school I went to, LIU, on endocannabinoid system and on cannabis, because it's not something that was taught. It's not something that people know of. So and we all have a tendency to be afraid, you know, of things we don't know. So I think that's going to go a long way and it's going to go a long way very quickly because you see all these programs are popping up in colleges, in medical schools and pharmacy schools. It really is, you know, interesting how it's becoming all over the place. Everybody's talking about research, if not prescribing and recommending, they're at least talking about research. Right. So I do think it's becoming more acceptable from the regulation standpoint. I um, believe that becomes very different and not only from state to state and town to town, but from a dispensary to a dispensary. There's really no good manufacturing practices. You really don't know what product you're getting. You're getting exactly what they have on the shelf right now at that moment that you came into the dispensary. Um, There are a lot of issues. I'm on the East Coast, obviously. We have a shortage of product and we have a a lack of uh, can a lack of uh, different cannabis strains, and that's a very big pro- problem for patients. So even when we're, for example, like I'm now working on protocols and designing protocols, I have to say that okay, if if the if uh, the dispensary doesn't have this product, then you can prescribe. You know, then the patient can go to this product. But it really shouldn't be this way. I mean, when the doctor sends you to the pharmacy with a prescription for amoxicillin, you go with a prescription for amoxicillin, you're not expecting to have ampicillin substituted for it, right? Uh, Because it's going to work differently. And that's exactly what's happening right now, at least on the East Coast. I know the West Coast dispensaries and depending on the state, that really is different. So I believe that's important. The quality of the product that's being grown is very important and the quality suffers a lot. And I can tell you, even in New Jersey, now that we are recreational, um, we're not going to see recreational for a while because we can't really manage the need of the medical patients right now. The medical patients are not getting the product that they need. So how can we possibly go to sell recreational? if we can't address the need of the patient. So I think that really should be a very big area of concentration uh, on the road is really, you know, having enough product, having the right product and having the good manufacturing practices. You need to make sure that you're really getting the product from the place where you can trust how it was grown, how it was packaged, how it was given to you. All this stuff, I think it becomes very, very important. Yes, yes. Thank you, Elaine. Uh, a standardization, just a little bit, a standard of manufacturing process and ingredients, I think, will be important uh, moving forward as well. Thank you. Uh, John, any um, any um, input on this? Yeah, she's very similar to you. My parents, immigrants from Turkey, so very much conservative, have, you know, didn't know too much about the plant until I got involved in the industry. And so I think with destigmatization, the only 
I think the really the only way we'll get past it is by federally opening it up to the country, because that way we're going to be able to flow in the amount of education and information that is needed. We're no longer going to keep information in the dark and, you know, produce misinformation. You know, it's all going to be standardized, checked through, make sure it's correct and um, checked up, backed up on. And so that's one piece that I really look forward to in legalization is now we can really strongly and have resources to educate the country as a whole and even internationally as a whole on, again, the the real power of the plan. I mean, you know, you asked, do you think the country's ready? I think the country's been ready for legalization. I think you look at the opioid crisis that Elaine was mentioning. I think that's a clear indication that the country is ready. You know, again, Ted mentioned it. The reason there is this dark stigma around cannabis, unfortunately tied to, you know, political games and, you know, race issues, social issues that people tied into cannabis to, you know, put down groups, individuals, people's races. So it's, you know, it's nasty stuff what happened in the future. And again, I think the more education we can bring, and again, I think the more education we can bring is through legalization throughout the country. So I, I think we're ready. I think we've been ready. I think it needs to happen, obviously, in the right way. You know, we we take care of some of the black market um, problems that we have from state to state. You know, Ted mentioned it. The some of the problems we're seeing right now um, with with cannabis. You know, from state to state, it's so different. In Colorado, there's no need for a distributor to get your product in the stores. In California, that's the only way you can do it. And so it's tough to juggle these different loopholes these different, you know, problems. And that's, you know, that's, uh, you know, blessing also a tough thing, you know, while you're in the industry, it's you're, you're dealing with these different problems that other industries don't deal with. And so, I mean, really, I think you look at it and you see, again, there's, there's people that are dealing with different issues in different States. We can kind of streamline it ideally with federal legalization. That's, that's kind of where we need to go. Hopefully again, we see that, we see that happening now. Yes, yes, great. Um, very useful information from you guys. Uh, I agree as well. I think maybe the country is actually ready. It just needs some a process in place, um, some discussion in place, and really we need to uh, get hands on it and really just go through the process. Um, so this is all very useful information and uh, all leads to my last question for you guys today. Uh, what will be your prediction uh, for the industry in the next two or three years? Um, also, what will be the fundraising outlook for our startups in the cannabis industry in general? Any other potential resources they can look for as well? Uh, feel free to jump in. Um, I can talk. I think the future is regulation. I do believe that everybody is going to jump on board, taxation, regulation, making sure that, um, you know, everybody gets a piece of the action from the state and federal government standpoint. But I do think, as I mentioned before, the good manufacturing practices is something that's very important for the patient, first and foremost. And I do think that's something that needs to be enforced and the only way it should be can be enforced and will be enforced is when the states are fully involved and it is very different from you know state by state I am in the state, you know, I'm in New Jersey, where at this point have only nine dispensaries. There's a bunch coming up, but we have only nine. And they guess all they're all vertical licenses. So they are growing, distributing, and selling. 
So you don't have individual licenses. You can't have a storefront with, with, without having a grow, which is now changing. So that's, I think, is a big, uh, it's very important. That regulation, I think it's going to be very, very important, become very important. Uh, because as I said, I'm looking at it from the medical standpoint, but even if you're using it recreationally, you do want to make sure that you're getting a clean, good product that's not laced with anything, right? Yes. Uh, and that was grown without mold. And, you, you, you know, that um, that's something that um, that's a good product for you. So I think that that's a big uh, thing coming. And I also feel the future is uh, for medical is insurance coverage, which is why I kind of got into this from the startup standpoint. I think insurance coverage is very important. Uh, as, as we mentioned before, cannabis is very expensive. Uh, people have to try different products. They have to try different dosage forms. Uh, and uh, it's very important that the insurance covers it when it's being used for medical reasons. If OxyContin can cost, you know, upward $4,000 a month, depending on the strength and the insurance company is paying for it, why can't the insurance company cover cannabis that's a lot cheaper, doesn't cause the same, you know, will not put that patient into a rehab facility for which the insurance company will have to pay and, you know, cause side effects and drug interactions. So I, I think that's the future. I really hope so. And obviously I'm making my future on it as well, but I, I certainly believe that that's very important. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Elaine. Um, any other people? Yeah, I think on the funding piece of it. So I personally, we're fundraising currently right now. And kind of the trend I've seen is, you know, Ted mentioned these white shoes investment bankers um, kind of getting in the space right now. It's um, there's definitely, you know, some hurdles in getting some of these traditional VC funds to invest in cannabis. You know, it's not an area they're too well versed in for a lot of them. They don't feel that comfortable diving in with, you know, with two feet. Obviously, there are some specific cannabis firms, you know, you know, I probably know about 50 off top. But again, obviously, as, as the floodgates open, more and more VCs, more and more institutional investors are going to dive in and want to get a piece of the action. I do think a lot of that's going to be funneled to the ancillary side of things, as I think, you know, again, in software, like we mentioned with Ted, medical, pharmaceutical, I think those are going to be areas where these VCs have a little bit more experience and knowledge with. So they may um, kind of signal in and look for those opportunities. I think right now, one piece that even my um, my team's looking at is crowdfunding. You know, I think that kind of allows entrepreneurs to voice their brand, to really put it out there online and let the people kind of, you know, decide, you know, how much it's worth, you know, how much they should be given. And so that's something we've been looking into. I advise, you know, again, if maybe if VCs are, again, kind of putting up some, uh, block holds, look at, you know, these crowdfunding opportunities that allow you to kind of really showcase your brand and drive in some uh, fundraising that way. Yes. Yes. Thank you, John. Um, Tad, any thoughts on this? I mean, I think you guys hit the big ones, right? You know, like having a basic floor of regulation, I think is really important and we'll see happen more and more, right? Um, having it be legitimized as real medicine is one that I think we're going to see more and more. Um, on the investment front, I think, you know, John is exactly right. You know, I think a lot of the traditional capital is going to flow into ancillary or, you know, manufacturing equipment, things like that, you know, not as much into plant touching because I don't think that part of the industry really like, needs that much capital. Um, and so I think that's interesting. And I think equity crowdfunding is an excellent point. That's something that I've personally done a lot of and, and I think is really interesting and, and really democratizes finance in a way that we haven't seen before and gives people 
the ability to invest in vehicles that while higher risk are also potentially much higher reward um, and, and things that have only been, you know, available to credit investors so far, you know, I think is, is really an interesting trend. Um, and then on the investment front, you know, I'm really optimistic about the industry um, and people's ability to raise capital. You know, I think that in like 2019, so much money came into the space so quickly with so little due diligence. There was this green rush and people were like so excited to get in that a lot of investors were burned um, and invested in companies that were not ready for funding or should not have been funded. And so I think, you know, in 2020, we saw people kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, let's let things, you know, settle out a little bit. Um, now, fortunately, you know, there's cannabis investor syndicates that I think are doing a really good job. There's groups like ArcView, which is a cannabis investor network that, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of that is helping to do diligence on deals and teach investors how to responsibly deploy capital in the space. And so I think the more education is done and like the more professional, you know, events there are for family office investors and pension funds about like, how do you actually start investing in cannabis? Um, the comfort level will start to come back. And I, th I think it's happening already. So overall, you know, I'm optimistic about the prospects for, uh, for investment in the space. And if we see federal legalization, I mean, game on, you know, it's really going to explode. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, thank you guys so much for sharing your knowledge today. Um, our discussion is coming to the end. Uh, in conclusion, we just wish more and more people will learn and feel the benefits of cannabis uh, and to share the positivity and the good energy as well with our community. I uh, really appreciate your time today on behalf of our NeChip community. Thank you very much for your contribution. And until next time. Thank you for tuning into this episode of NeChip Accelerate. If you are interested in learning more about how NewChip enables startup founders to build their business, meet other CEOs, and raise their rounds, all while retaining 100% ownership of their companies, check us out at newchip.com. If you liked what you heard, head over to the NewChip YouTube channel for the video version of this panel discussion and more. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time with more NewChip Accelerate.